shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Like a penny. You That's know, stealing. we are short 
choir director, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in a day of trouble. May the name of Jacob's God protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and sustain you from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt offering. Selah. And nobody really knows what Selah means. It can mean a, a couple of different things. It could mean, it could mean pause right here. It could mean think about what I just said. A lot of people, that's what I would like to think it means. Think about what I just said, you know. So he's saying, may he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt offering. So he just told us about how God is, is going to be with us and bless us. He wants us to think about that. May he give you what your heart desires and fulfill your whole purpose. Let us shout for joy at your victory and let the banner in the, lift the banner in the name of our God. May the Lord fulfill all your requests. Now I know that the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with mighty victories from his right hand. Some take pride in chariots and others in horses, but we take pride in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand. Lord, give victory to the king. May he answer us on the day that we call. So this is just basically a prayer. It's a good prayer at the beginning of the year that the Lord will be with us and guide us and guide our purposes and do all those things. And some of that we'll talk about in the sermon today. I want to get ahead of myself, but just a great psalm to think about as we uh, begin the new year. So we're going to worship the Lord with some songs. First, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Chains undone. Sin defeated, Jesus has overcome. Mercy triumph when the third day dawned. Darkness was denied when the stone was gone. Unstoppable God. Let your glory go 
Shout your 
Shame is undone. Your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory. 
right, uh, now's the time in the service where we're going to take communion together. So hopefully everyone has one of these packets where um, we have the body and the blood of the Lord, the juice and the, and the cracker. Why do we take communion? Well, Jesus said we do it in remembrance of him. And what do we remember? We remember his death. We remember his life, his death. We remember his burial, his resurrection. But why do any of those things matter? Well, they matter because of what, through what Jesus did, we are now reunited to God. We're able to become like God through Christ because of what Christ did for us. Every time we hold the body and blood of the Lord in our hands, we're reminded of that, that we're taking the Lord into ourselves so that we can become more like him. That's one of the biggest reasons we, we do communion, take communion, is because we're communing with the Lord. He's here with us. He's present with us. And we're able to draw closer to him. We're able to, one person called communion food for the journey. Food for the journey. This gives us spiritual strength to be able to walk out the life that Christ has called us to live. So think about those things as we take communion today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time that you've given us to remember what your son did for us. That he came to this earth, became a man, lived a sinless life, suffered and died and rose again from the grave so that we could be united with him, reunited with you. I pray that you would bless this time together. Help us to examine ourselves, Lord, and, and take this communion seriously. We ask it in Jesus' name. service for announcements. Matthew 25 ministry pill bottle donations. We're always collecting them. Again, you don't have to have all the pieces and parts, um, but they will take them. They will recycle them. They will use them for things um, locally and uh, internationally. So we do have a bin out in the foyer underneath the TV that you can put those pill bottles in.
We are also collecting used e-cartridges. Um, I wouldn't say go to door to door or anything, but if you have them or someone at your work has them, they're just going to throw them away. Just bring them on in. Um, it does help reduce the cost of office supplies here at the church. Carol's in charge of that if you have any questions. Food pantry and clothes closets every Thursday, 5 to 7, and the first Saturday of the month from 10 until 12. Um, this is just a time really for people to, who want to serve in a simple way. Um, we are praying with people. We are giving them physical food. We are, you know, going through the clothes with them. And as we're handling these things, we are praying that when they leave, it's not the last time we see them, but not just for us, that they will have some kind of in interaction with the Lord. Refit is a free ladies' dance fitness class. It's on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 6.30 to 7.30. There's a devotion afterwards. So it's a lot of great um, movement. It's a lot of great conversation. Um, it is very prayerful, and uh, we are making great relationships with other ladies from other churches and people in the community. So if you're interested in trying it out, just come and check us out Tuesdays and Thursdays at 6.30. Tithe and Offering Box is now located in the back of the sanctuary, back by Carol. Savannah, thank you. Um, if you would like to give to the church, um, that's where you'll do that. And thank you so much. All righty. Well, let's jump right into the word. I've been looking forward to, forward to this for a couple of weeks just because, you know, we've been off. So a little bit late with this message, but hey, better late than never, right? So let's uh, turn together in our Bibles today to Psalm 1, Psalm 1, and we're going to read the entire Psalm, Psalm 1, 1 through 6. So let's turn together in our Bibles. When you get there, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of today's teaching is How to Have a Happy New Year. How to Have a Happy New Year. In Psalm 1, 1 through 6, the scripture says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the, in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. You may be seated. Happy New Year. Three words that we say to others and something we all want for ourselves and for our families. So as we start this new year, we need to ask ourselves, how can we be sure that we have a happy new year? We all want that. How can we be sure that we get that? Well, today's psalm answers that question. And we see in these verses a theme that comes up again and again in the scriptures. That theme is the two ways of life. 
And when we boil everything down, there are only two ways of life. There are only two ways that we can walk. We can walk the way of the righteous, or we can walk the way of the wicked. And when we walk the way of the righteous, one of those, sorry, one of those ways leads to blessings and eternal happiness. The other way leads to curses and eternal ruin. So today we're going to talk about these two paths, these two ways of life, and we'll see how walking the way of the righteous will lead us to have a happy new year. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the truth we find in your word. Holy Spirit, speak to us and give us understanding so that we may know the truth and give us grace to practice the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Now first let's talk about what the psalmist says about the way of righteousness, the way of the righteous. The way of the righteous leads to happiness. The psalmist starts verse 1 with the word, how happy is the one. How happy, how blessed is the man, woman, boy or girl who lives a certain way. And the psalmist tells us what that way is in Psalm 1-6. He says, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. What this means is the Lord daily directs the path of those who are righteous. God watches over the steps of the righteous. He's with us every step of the way to lead us and to guide us into the truth. To empower us to live out the truth through the Holy Spirit. And if we walk in the way of the righteous, it will lead us to happiness. The way of the righteous leads to happiness. But the psalmist is not talking about happiness from the world's perspective. And it's very important that we understand this. He's not talking about feeling happy. You know, our feelings can be funny things. Our feelings, they come and they go. We can feel happy one minute and sad the next. So we cannot trust our feelings. We cannot live a victorious Christian life if we're going to live based on our feelings. But so many of us do just that. So many of us are carried about by our feelings. We're constantly on the move, looking for just a little tickle, chasing something that makes us happy. And when we don't feel happy, well, then we're certain that the Lord has forsaken us. You know, we say stuff like, I just don't feel the Lord's presence. I just don't feel like I'm saved. Let me ask y'all a question. What does it feel like to be saved? What What does that feel like? Does anybody know what that is? See, the happiness the psalmist describes is not a promise of happy feelings. It's the promise of God's blessing or God's favor resting on the righteous. See, God's blessings have nothing to do with our feelings. See, we can be going through the worst time in our lives. And when we're going through the worst time in our lives, that's not going to feel too good, is it? But we can still have the happiness the psalmist describes because we have God's favor resting on us. So let's remember Christian happiness is not based on feelings. It's based on knowing who the unchanging Lord is, knowing the unchanging promises the Lord offers us in Christ, and knowing when we're obedient to the the Lord's commands, well, then God's favor will always rest on us. So we'll have the happiness that the psalmist is describing when we're trusting in the Lord and walking on the path of the righteous by obeying the Lord's commands, 
And when we do that, we'll be truly happy. We'll be truly blessed no matter what we feel like. The way of the righteous leads to happiness. So that brings up a question. If the way of the righteous leads to happiness, well, how can we be sure that we're walking the way of the righteous? Well, in Psalm 1, the psalmist shows us several characteristics of the righteous. And by comparing ourselves to these characteristics, we can know whether we're walking on the path of the righteous or not. First, the righteous reject sinful beliefs. So in Psalm 1-1, the psalmist says the righteous person does not walk in the advice of the wicked. And what this means is a righteous person does not allow a sinful society to shape our thinking. A righteous person will reject the worldview of the wicked. You know, we've got to be careful not to allow our beliefs to be shaped by sinners. And that's becoming even more and more important in a society that is so confused, so rebellious, and so willfully ignorant about so many things. We've got to guard ourselves against the satanic agenda. And listen, I said it, I meant exactly what I said. The satanic agenda that wants us to believe that God's ways are backward, bigoted, and bad for humanity. An agenda that wants us to believe truth is relative, gender is fluid, and wrong is right. An agenda that says, if it feels right to you, well, then it must be okay. An agenda that says all judgment is wrong unless you're judging someone who disagrees with your sinful and destructive lifestyle. An agenda that says self is all that matters. That agenda is satanic. That agenda sells the illusion that we can find happiness only when we live in a world without restraints. But those who embrace such satanic beliefs about God, about life, about death, about right and wrong, and even about reality, will find out that those beliefs promise the world, but will only lead to destruction. So the righteous reject such things. The righteous reject sinful beliefs. A second characteristic of the righteous is the righteous reject sinful behaviors. Psalm 1-1 says the righteous do not stand in the pathway with sinners. A righteous person refuses, listen to this word, refuses to live a sinful life. Our eyes have been enlightened. We can see that the path of sin eventually leads to misery and ruin. So we do whatever it takes to avoid sin. And sometimes that means cutting some things out of our lives, cutting out our eye and cutting off our hand, and Jesus didn't mean that literally. He meant to cut the things out of your life that are destroying you. That's what righteous people do. The righteous person is constantly striving to obey Jesus' command in Matthew 7, 13. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. The righteous have found the narrow gate and are walking the difficult road to life by following Jesus. When did we get the idea that Christianity was easy? When did we start promoting this to people? 
The Christian life is not easy. From the lips of the Lord, he said, the way to life is difficult. So when we promise people a life that's rosy when they come to Christ, we're setting those people up for disaster. And we see it over and over again in the lives of people who come to the Lord, they get tested, and then they fall away from the faith because they say, hey, I didn't sign up for this suffering. We need to change that. See, the righteous are people who pick up their cross daily. They deny themselves daily. They reject their sinful passions, and they are daily putting to death whatever belongs to their earthly nature. And guess what? That takes work. That's not just, we're not just coasting into heaven. We have to go to work for the Lord if we're going to make it. The righteous refuse to travel on the broad and sinful road on which we all once walked. See, we're not following the crowd anymore. We're moving in a different direction. We've chosen the peculiar path. And here's a piece of truth that we need to hear often. If we're following the crowd, if our life looks no different than the sinful world around us, then we can be absolutely certain that we're on the broad road that leads to destruction. And it doesn't matter what we say about the Lord Jesus. If we're following the crowd, we're on the road that leads to destruction. We're on the pathway for sinners. We've got to get off of that path and stay off of that path. We've got to keep turning from the path of sinners and keep following the Lord Jesus. And when we do, well, the Lord Jesus will keep on giving us his Holy Spirit, who will keep on giving us grace, giving us divine power to walk on the path of the righteous. We all need to make Psalm 119.35 our constant prayer. Let's keep crying out to the Lord, help me stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. That's the biggest thing we need. We need to stay on the path of the Lord's commands. And the Lord is eager to answer that prayer. He's eager to enable us to walk on the path that leads to life. The path of the righteous person. The path that keeps us separated from the world, where we reject sinful beliefs, reject sinful behaviors, and where we also have a third characteristic of the righteous, the righteous reject sinful buddies. <laughs> sinful buddies. Psalm 1-1 says, the righteous do not sit in the company of mockers. Don't sit in the company of mockers. And what this means is we have no close association with people who mock God. We have no close relationship with people who reject the Lord's rule in their lives. Why? Well, one reason is because we become like the people that we have close relationships with. See, if we choose to have close and constant contact with those who mock God, well, sooner or later, we're going to join them in their mockery. Now, we may not openly mock God like the wicked do, but we may begin to mock God by not taking his word as seriously as we once did. We may stop seeing the seriousness of sin, and we may start to redefine sin, to doubt God's word, and on and on it goes until we finally fall away from the faith. Now, Paul knew that this could happen. Paul knew that we could deceive ourselves into thinking we could be buddies with sinful people and it not negatively affect our lives. So in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Paul wrote this, Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. 
to those who mock God, who don't want to serve God. They're bad company for Christians. And they will corrupt our good morals with their bad company if we hang around them too long. So we cannot be buddies with those who mock God and expect that our Christianity will rub off on them. And I think we've been doing that for years in the church. Let's just hang out with some sinners, and eventually they're going to catch this Christianity somehow through osmosis. I don't know how it's going to get to them, but somehow it's going to rub off on them, and they all become Christians. So let me ask you guys a question. How's that working out for us? How's that working out for us? Doesn't the church look more like the world than it ever has? Why is that? It's because we're rubbing shoulders with sinners, and we're not calling them to repentance, which is what I'm going to talk about here in a minute. So we cannot be buddies with those who mock God and expect that our Christianity will rub off on them. God's word says that it will not rub off on them. And in fact, the opposite will happen. Their corruption will rub off on us. It's kind of like you put a, a bad apple with a bunch of good apples. What happens? Is, do the good apples turn the, the bad apple good? No. The bad apple turns the, bad apple, the good apples bad. It's very simple. So although we are called to be a light and shine our light in a dark, dark world, that does not include being buddies with people who mock God, who reject God. See, the righteous reject being buddies with unrepentant sinners. Now, like me, you may have heard people talk about how Jesus was called the friend of sinners. We've all heard that. Jesus, the friend of sinners. And Jesus ate with sinners. And this is often used as a justification for Christians to be buddies with sinners. But what people don't seem to understand about Jesus is when Jesus befriended sinners and ate with sinners, Jesus did it for one reason and one reason only. What was that reason? Well, Jesus said himself, he came to call sinners to repentance. He came to call sinners to forsake their sinful ways. And that means that when somebody invited Jesus to their house and Jesus went to a sinner's house, then he questioned their sinful behavior. Questioned their sinful behavior. And if Jesus did that, well, let me ask you this. How long do you think he stayed friends with unrepentant sinners? How many times do you think Jesus got invited back to a home, to eat in a home, where he had called unrepentant sinners to repentance? He's calling them on their sin. How many times do you think he's going to get invited back? The sinful people who refuse to repent, see, they don't want righteous people to be around them because a righteous life is a rebuke to an unrighteous life. So if unrepentant sinners are comfortable being buddies with you and me, well, we need to ask ourselves why. Could it be because we never once did what Jesus did and called them to repentance? We just hanging out with them, never once told them to repent of their sins? Could it be that we never questioned their sinful behavior? Could it be that we change our behavior and we change our language around the unrighteous because we don't want to offend them? Let me ask you this question. Do the unrighteous care if they offend you? When they sit in front of us and blaspheme the name of Jesus, do they care about that? So why do we care if we offend them by telling them the truth? And I'm not saying be, <laughs> be mean to people. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying tell people the truth. Don't be afraid to offend people with the truth. The truth is offensive. It will. It's going to offend people. That's how it is. We can't be afraid to offend people, though. But if we see people who are often sin and are committing sins, it's up to us to call them on it. 
and say that's a simple that's a simple behavior that you're involved in. Do it nicely. Don't you know we're not trying to judge everybody harshly. We're not throwing tongues. Just call people on their sin. That's what we're supposed to do. If we're hanging out with sinners, that's what we should be doing. So if if we've been compromising our our views or, or when we're around sinful people, then what good are we doing being buddies with sinners? Is that what's what's the point of it? What kind of light are we showing them? See, the truth is, unless we're calling the sinners we're friends with to repentance, just like Jesus did, well, then we're not positively affecting them. They're negatively affecting us. And that's what I was talking about earlier. That's what the church has become. We've been so negatively affected by sinners that we act just like them, and we pretend like we're okay with the Lord, and that's not going to work. So let's not be deceived. Bad company will corrupt our good morals. Righteous people need to avoid those who mock God. The righteous reject sinful buddies. The righteous also have a fourth characteristic. The righteous delight in God's word. Psalm 1, 2 through 3 says of the righteous, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. And that's just only verse 2 of that. I'm going to read it. The righteous person takes delight in the Lord's instruction. Lord's instructions are the Lord's commands or the Lord's word. And the word delight, it means exactly what it sounds like. That when we delight in something, we get pleasure from it, right? We enjoy, we, we, we enjoy this thing. We enjoy it. And no one needs to twist our arm to get us to do something that we find pleasurable or enjoyable. And the righteous find pleasure in God's word. We enjoy God's word, or at least we're supposed to, right? We're supposed to have a desire to read God's word and to learn the word. Because God's word tells us all about our Heavenly Father. God's word leads us closer to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's word is what the Holy Spirit uses to shape us into Christ's image. The righteous have tasted the goodness of the word of God. We've seen how the word creates positive changes in our lives. So we delight in God's word and we meditate on God's word day and night. Now the word meditate can mean several different things. It means to think about something, but it can also mean to mutter or to speak. So when we meditate on God's word, we run it over and over in our minds. We read it and we reread it. We think about what it means and we think about how does this apply to my life? How can I apply this? And we also repeat God's word over and over again with our mouths. So we run God's word over in our minds, and we run God's word over in our mouths over and over again. As the psalmist says, we do this day and night. And what this means is the righteous meditate on God's word constantly. When we wake up, God's word should be on our minds and in our mouths. Throughout our entire day, God's word should be on our minds and in our mouths. When we lie down to sleep, God's word should be in our minds and in our mouths. And the effect of being so saturated with God's word will be life-changing for all who do this consistently. But none of us really believe that, do we? I don't want to be tough on y'all, being tough on myself as well. None of us really believe what this says. Because if we really believe what this says, then we would do what this says, correct? We would meditate on it day and night. 
We would get off of Facebook. We would get off the TV. We would use that time to spend it in the Word of God, meditating on the thing that would change our life. And yes, I just got out on Facebook. Is that all right? Is that all right? It's not just Facebook, though. It's all these time wasters that the devil is constantly throwing at us. Distracting us, exactly. Distracting us from what's important, what the most important thing is, which is the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God. How many of you have the Word of God memorized? Anybody? Seems like we got some work to do, right? Got some work to do. Because this is a life-changing thing. If we'll do what, this, what the Word says, then it will it'll cer- certainly change our lives. We meditate on it, and not only meditate on it, but we got to live it out. As David says, the person who delights in and meditates on God's Word is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And listen to this, whatever he does prospers. See, like a tree that's constantly being nourished by the life-giving water of an abundant stream, when we saturate ourselves with the Scriptures, we will constantly be nourished by the life-giving waters of the Word. And we will eventually bear the fruit of the Word of God. We'll see the fruits of the Word of God in our lives. The fruit of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The fruit of love and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the divine fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives, in the lives of the righteous. Fruit that will continue to come into our lives as we stay saturated with the Word of God. If we delight in, meditate on, and obey the Word of God, we will live a righteous life. There's no other way around it. You can't get around it. If I meditate on it and I do what it says, then my life will be righteous. Your life will be righteous. No more of these unrighteous Christians who live out here in the world, right? We don't want to be unrighteous. We're not unrighteous. We can't be unrighteous and claim to follow the Lord. It's not how it works. If we'll meditate on the Word and obey the Word, our leaves will never wither. We will produce everlasting fruit for the kingdom of God, and whatever we do will prosper. And don't we all want to prosper in whatever we do? Of course we do, right? Nobody's sitting here thinking, I want to be a total failure in whatever I do. Nobody thinks like that. No, we all want to prosper in the things we do. And today's scripture shows us how to make sure that happens. If we'll delight in God's word and God's instruction and God's commands, and if we'll strive to do his commands, if we'll be hearers and doers of God's word, hearers and doers of God's word, then we will have, then we have God's precious promise that we will most definitely, without a doubt, no question about it, take it to the bank, we will prosper in whatever we do. This means that our spiritual life will prosper. Our marriage and family life will prosper. Our work life will prosper. When we know and obey God's word, everything we do will prosper. You want a prosperity gospel, there it is right there. That's the true prosperity gospel. To know God's word and obey God's word, you prosper in the things of God. We'll do ex- <laughs> when, we, when we know and obey God's word, everything we do prospers. Because everything we do will be in line with God's will. We will desire what God desires. We will pray for what God wants us to pray for. 
And when we do that, then God will make sure that we prosper in whatever we do. So that our lives, listen to this now, so that our lives will bring glory to him. God gets glory when we're prosperous in the things we do. Because we're doing it according to his will. People can see the fruit of our lives as the fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit, that comes from the word of God, from doing what the Lord tells us to do. See, that's what we can expect when we walk the way of the righteous. The way of the righteous leads to happiness. But in Psalm 1, the psalmist also talks about another way of life, a way of life that we all want to avoid. And this is not going to take nearly as long as that just did. Because, because unlike the way, of, the way of the righteous, in Psalm 1-6, the psalmist says, the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Now, we're going to dive deeper into what the psalmist means by ruin here in a few minutes. But first, the psalmist tells us why the way of the wicked leads to ruin. The way of the wicked leads to ruin because the wicked are corrupt. The wicked are corrupt. Notice Psalm 1-4 says, the wicked are not like this. Well, not like what? Well, the wicked are not like the righteous. Somehow we've confused ourselves and thought that we could be wicked righteous, right? There's wicked righteous out here in the world, right? There's sinner Christians. That's just, what? What? There's sinning saints. You hear these, this, these nonsense words we come up with. It's nonsense. You're either wicked or you're righteous, but you can't be both. You're not going to be both. See, the wicked are not like the righteous. See, unlike the righteous, the wicked embrace sinful beliefs, sinful behaviors, and sinful buddies. The wicked do not delight in God's word. And because of that, the wicked are not happy, the wicked are not fruitful, and the wicked do not prosper, at least not from the Lord's perspective. See, unlike the righteous who have deep roots in the word of God and bear righteous fruit in season, the ways of the wicked are corrupt and they bear corrupt fruit. As we read in Psalm 1-4, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Now, what is chaff? Is that something you get like a rash? Or is that chafe? <laughs> now, what is chaff? Well, the picture here is of harvesting grain. The harvesters would take the grain to a place called a threshing floor. And at the threshing floor, animals would crush the grain by pulling heavy objects over it. And the crushed grain would, be, would, would then be tossed high into the air, and the good part of the grain would fall to the ground, but the chaff, or the worthless part of the grain, would be blown away by the wind. Well, then the harvesters would gather up the chaff and burn it in the fire to keep it from mixing back in with the good part of the grain. And the scriptures say that's what the wicked are like. That those who do not follow the way of the righteous are corrupt. They're useless just like chaff. And because the wicked are corrupt, the wicked are condemned. Notice Psalm 1-5 says, Therefore the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Now why won't the wicked stand up in the judgment? Why won't sinners stand up in the assembly of the righteous? It's because the wicked reject the Lord's mercy and refuse to obey God's commands through God's grace. And because of that, their lives are corrupt. And the way of the wicked leads to condemnation and ruin and the judgment. Condemnation, ruin, and the judgment. The Apostle Paul paints a petrifying picture of this judgment in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. John says this, Then I saw a great white throne, 
and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is a picture of the Lord Jesus that we really need to, need to get a hold of, right? This does away with Jesus as my homeboy right here, this, this verse right here. The one from whom heaven and earth fled from his face when, when they see him. The all-powerful God is who we're dealing with. Notice that John says those who appear before Christ's throne will be judged by their works. Judged by their works. Not by what they claim to be or claim to believe, but by what they did. Notice John also says anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life will not survive the judgment. The same thing we read back in Psalms. They will be thrown into the lake of fire. As Jesus says in Matthew, they will be gathered up and thrown into the fire. Now, whether this is an actual lake of fire or some sort of imagery, what John is describing is an awful fate for the wicked. And it's a fate that we all want to avoid. So how can we be sure we avoid this fate? How can we be sure our names will be found written in the book of life? We don't have to guess because Jesus tells us in Revelation 3, 4 through 5. He says, you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. That's interesting language. To call people worthy to walk with Jesus? In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes. And I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Our names will be found written in the book of life if we conquer or overcome the world. If we put on Christ and keep our Christ clothes clean from the defiling effects of sin and the world. In other words, when Jesus looks down at the book of life on the day of judgment, my name will be there and your name will be there only if we walked the way of the righteous. How do you walk the way of the righteous? By consistently obeying the commands of the Lord Jesus. You will be judged by your works. I will be judged by my works. That's what Jesus is going to say. Did you follow me? Did you obey my commands? That's what he's going to say. If we did not obey his commands, our name will not be in that book. The righteous have their names in the book of life because the righteous are those who, through God's grace, do the righteous works that make them worthy to walk with Jesus. Listen to what I said again. The righteous are those who, through God's grace, do the righteous works that make them worthy to walk with Jesus. All the rest, the wicked, like chaff, will be gathered up and thrown in to the fire. The sinner, the wicked person who rejects God and the righteous way, after being condemned in the judgment, will spend eternity in the lake of fire. And that's what the psalmist means in Psalm 1-6 when he says, the way of the wicked leads to ruin. 
To be ruined is to end up in the lake of fire. To be ruined is to be a part of the second death. And that's a fate none of us want for ourselves. None of us want for our families. None of us want for anybody in the world. We all want to avoid that fate at all costs. And we can avoid that fate by walking the way of the righteous and continuing in that way until the end. So as we close, I want us to ask ourselves some questions. Which way am I walking? Am I walking the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked? Have I entered through the narrow gates? And am I walking the difficult road that leads to life? Or have I gone through the wide gate? And am I walking on the broad road that leads to ruin? If I claim I'm on the road to life, is there evidence in my life that confirms that claim? Are my beliefs and behaviors different from the world around me? Am I refusing sinful beliefs, rejecting sinful behaviors, and rejecting to have sinful buddies? Do I delight in the Lord's instruction? Do I bear the fruit of righteousness? Do I see the fruit of a changed and ever-changing life in Christ? Now, maybe you're counting on a decision you made years ago as the assurance that you're on the right path and that you're okay with God. But true assurance that we're on the right path and that we're okay with God comes not through a past decision we made to believe in Christ, but from our present daily decision to follow Christ by obeying his commands. It's only those who are currently bearing the fruit of a righteous life who have assurance. Only those who are becoming more and more Christ-like can be sure that we're headed the right way. So let's ask ourselves, am I bearing the fruit of a righteous life? Am I headed the right way? Well, if not, then thank the Lord for his mercy because we can all change our direction today. We can choose to walk the way of the righteous today. And it's becoming more and more clear to me the older I get that today is all that we really have. Yesterday is gone. There's nothing I can do about yesterday, nothing you can do about yesterday. It's gone. Tomorrow may never come. So let's make up our minds that Today, every day, every today, every today that God gives us, every today he gives us this coming year, let's make up our minds that we're going to spend it striving to walk the way of the righteous. Today is all we have. So let's make sure we spend it walking the way of the righteous. And that's how to have a happy new year. Let's all stand for prayer. Holy Father, we thank you so much for giving us your word to show us the way to life. And we ask you that, ask that you would apply your word to our lives. Would help us to examine ourselves in light of this message, in light of your word. And if we find that we are on the way of the wicked, give us the grace to turn to the way of the righteous. And Lord, empower us to continue to walk on that way every day for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name we ask you. Amen. So I'll speak the Lord's blessing over you all. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, we love you all. We'll